Hi, everybody. Welcome to Naked Conversations. My name is Craig. My wife's name is Dawn, and she's in South Bend again this week, so we're recording this separately. Uh, this week, it's a little bit of uh, uh, talking about old relationships, uh, mostly from high school, which surprises Dawn that I had girlfriends in high school because she's a bully. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy. So this one is another one in Craig's love series where he gives love different characters and personalities and creators and and I find it interesting that he sees love as this all-powerful being that creates things and brings us together and is always piecing things together in our lives, almost like a creator or a God, which, you know, for someone who doesn't believe in God, but believes in love so strongly, and the Bible says God is love, has always been one of those things that has been a mystery to me. So um, yeah, this one is a lot of fun. And when you listen to how he narrates love's role it's um it's quite familiar. So I hope you guys enjoy it. I always I always have. Thanks. Once upon a time, we were primordial skeletons buried deep in the ground after the last great disaster drowned us in ash. Then love came along with shovels and picks tiny brushes and rubber gloves and, and ever-curious spectacles that kept sliding down their nose that they would then push back up with a dusty finger before pointing out the latest piece they had uncovered of us to a colleague. See here, Love would say, trying to tamp their excitement. This curve in the pelvic cradle indicates to me a new subspecies of Amiosaurus, one we've never encountered before, my friend. And though love did their best to pretend at professionalism, we could feel their childlike enthusiasm in every brush stroke along the length of us. In every speck of extraneous mineral, love carefully picked from our femurs, our tarsals, from each pointy spiked vertebra. And once we were excavated, tagged, and backed off to their favorite museum, love spent many long months piecing us back together building us tall and proud in the center of the main hall, our long necks entwined in reptilian embrace, our skulls poised nose to nose at the top, and in an eternal kiss love could not resist posing us in. Because love saw in us what we've always known. We were made for each other, morning light separated only by layers of time, each disaster layered atop the last, as if any calamity could keep love from making us what we were meant to be, this monument to love's glory towering over every visitor, inspiring awe that drops every jaw, that causes each wondering heart to trip a bit faster as it hurries to keep up with us. Love even with their jaundiced eye, having seen everything, still marvels with the rest of them. 
by Jove, Love says, their voice barely whisper, what beauty we make of our beasts. Hi, beautiful. Hi, love. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we were talking about high school and you wanted to record it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, because what you were telling me was kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. So this is what Craig told me. He told me that when he dated girls in high school, which he did date girls in high school. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, even though it was the late 80s and I was definitely considered a nerd. And it yeah. was not cool to be a nerd not in the yet. 80s. Um, he said that he like would have a girlfriend and they would, you know, just decide that it wasn't healthy for them or not ready to be in relate, whatever, whatever the situation, like he didn't have to marry everybody he, he dated. Mm-hmm. And that was so weird for me because he was saying how, oh, well, we did, then we just broke up and we were friends after that. And then I dated so-and-so and I knew that I was going to go to college and I would probably meet someone in college. So I da 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 and so then when well, he and it started with you it's recording it's okay <laughs> you've done that before with this too <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, <clears throat> so you, you started with you asking did you think about a future with them and and I did think about a future but it was only it was only you know like a two or three years in the future kind of thing right it's not like I thought oh this is gonna last for a month or two and then I'll move on I mean I, I you know I mean, I I loved my girlfriends, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, I I never thought oh we'll get married. It was always maybe maybe it'll even extend into college a little bit, but I couldn't imagine. I mean, the odds that we were going to go to the same school. I was always going to go to college. That was definitely a thing for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm just looking at it because it stopped doing that thing. It's because it's. We should just start this over. No, 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 no. We're not starting it over. Because it's it's going to have all this in the middle I, that's for no okay. reason. That's okay. That's all stop it. That's funny. You stop it. No, no it's okay. I'm not going to stop it. Let me touch it so I can show you to prove that it's still recording. <laughs> okay. okay, so. Listen, it's only been two minutes. I know Let's my anxiety start, just I is. No, I don't want to restart I it. I do want to restart it. Why? Because, because, I'm because it's ridiculous. I've been driving you nuts all morning. No, and we just woke up like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> just like... I keep saying you haven't. Been. I have to been. You know I have. No, been. you haven't. No, okay, you haven't. So You've been point... assuming that I've that I've been driven nuts. <laughs> well, because I can tell when you're losing patience with me. I'm not. I, okay, I'm if it makes you up. feel any better, I'm driving myself nuts too. Mm. My brain's okay. just not stopping. Okay, this well, morning. you're not driving me nuts. I promise. Okay, so. Okay, anyway, I guess we're going to have this ridiculously long segment where we're arguing about whether the phone is recording or not. In the middle. Sorry about okay, that. Okay, I have more confidence in it now because he turned the screen on where I could see it. Yes. Okay. okay. So, so anyway, I was just impressed with the fact that you didn't <clears throat> expect the end of the world in I mean, a day. And, and, and honestly, this has been <laughs> 34 years ago, so my memory may be a little fuzzy. I, I mean, I might, I might have contemplated marrying my first girlfriend, uh, Anna or my second girlfriend Samantha, but I, I don't recall thinking about that. And I, I, you know, I, as far as I recall, I think I remember thinking like two or three years ahead. 
and then seeing where things would go. But I, I also recall thinking, oh, if I meet somebody I'm going to marry, it'll probably be in college. Okay, but what I'm more impressed with is the fact that you were not thinking you're going to either die or the world's <laughs> going to end right. tomorrow. So you've got to marry and you've got to have kids as quickly as possible. Yeah, and and, <clears throat> and most of my friends uh, were <clears throat> Christian youth group kids. Like I didn't go to church uh, and I was very bold about telling people that I was an atheist, but still all of my friends... For the most part, I think maybe I had a, a couple of friends who, well, didn't go to church and, and maybe they were on the fence about whether they believed in God or not. But um, as far as I recall, the Christian youth group friends that I had were, um, they never talked about the apocalypse or the end of the world. They were more concerned with things like abortion and uh and saving my soul like that <clears throat> you know i was i was a project to them for sure because i would tell them i was an atheist and and they were just astounded like that somebody could not believe in in god and mm-hmm. and uh we're, we would constantly have arguments about i don't know the bible and whatever and it was all good natured i mean we were still friends and mm-hmm. you know no hurt feelings but yeah i don't recall anybody talking about the end of the world or having to get married right away because the end was nigh, you know, none of that. That's just so foreign to me. Yeah. I can't imagine growing up without that constant fear of either mm-hmm. making God angry or, you know, losing, you know, even though even though we were independent fundamental premillennial Baptists <laughs> and we believed in eternal security, yeah. there was always this thing that if you weren't if you did things that you felt like you shouldn't have done or you um you were struggling with sin then they would often say these things like well maybe you weren't really saved Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. then you were always wondering are you really saved you know maybe yeah and so it was just this constant i mean you know anxiety of you know are, are you really saved if you're having these if if you're having these normal human emotions or normal human struggles then you're not supposed to have those because you have the holy spirit and so these you know these normal things that i i realize now are normal right but right. just the constant anxiety of you know thinking the wrong thing doing the wrong thing yeah. i remember this pastor once saying that um a sign of character is if you if you pass a piece of paper in the church and you don't stop to pick it up, then God is watching you and you have you lack character. Mm. So you know how sometimes I'll be like the tiniest little piece of paper if there's on the I mean the anxiety and the OCD that that fostered of just like picking up. I mean there's times in, in everywhere that I've worked where. I'm outside picking up the trash outside of the hospital or out, even IU yeah. because because I felt like, because probably I was too enmeshed at my jobs and I felt like it was displaying a lack of character in our organization if there was trash outside. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Man, you've got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of hangups. Yeah. <laughs> well, for pointing that out. And I'm and I'm sure that there was neurosis like that 
amongst uh, the the religious believers in my high school. I probably just wasn't friends with them because they wouldn't be friends. I mean, so <clears throat> most of the Christian youth friends that I had were friends that I had from um, like like drama club or you know theater uh, or or uh, the you know, advanced high school classes that I was taking for college, you know, AP courses. They, they didn't call them AP courses, but, you know, they had strata of different levels of coursework that you would take. And, and yeah, so they were, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that there were cults around my <laughs> area, area too. too. Yeah, but, but I'm sure you, you wouldn't have been friends with me, you know if if we had met like you uh you wouldn't have been friends with an atheist at that point if you'd found out i was an atheist you would have just avoided me i'm sure you know well i went to a christian school yeah. so i didn't re- we don't even have that didn't have the opportunity to test that theory <laughs> right yeah because i wasn't around any atheists yeah i'm trying to think of what outside groups we might have been involved in i don't know i mean we're, well certainly there were people who went to your church who didn't all go to suburban baptist right i mean yeah but still that was was pretty that was a pretty tight because you have to remember you had to become a member so anytime there were kids that that um more more the core group at that point in the church was people who became members of the church so they so they so so kids wouldn't bring people from their school to an event every once in a while but yeah. it was you know it was like it was kind of an all or nothing thing it's mm-hmm. like do you know do they there's this okay so there's a scripture verse that says <clears throat> if you're rejected to, to the disciples if you're rejected then you do you knock the dust off of your feet when you enter when you enter somebody's home who rejects you as a christian as a believer mm-hmm. then you basically kick the the dust of their home off your feet as you walk away you sort of in essence it's sort of like a, i'm flipping you off you don't believe you know mm, kind of right. thing brushing shoulder brushing kind of yeah sure. like like you're no longer my responsibility because you're rejecting god and so it was a sort of right. this it's interesting how it was not this like like um and, and the thing is again i think it was always it was always in scripture talks about those things. It was always scenarios where it was people who were already believers. They were, were already like the Jewish sect in, in, uh, you know, like the, the religious leaders were the ones that pretty much were like, okay, you know, you're too far gone for us to be able to reach. So that it was more like the religious leaders as opposed to Uh. the way it's been flipped now. And it's more like if it's, non-belief if it's the world right so it's it's this kind of you know where bits and pieces of scripture or and that's the thing i think that bothers me the most or not bothers me the most but the finally i just gave up on was why i would land on love because it's too much like it's it was always too much and it was and scripture was always misused and flipped around and swirled around and and you know the scripture verses about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and self-control, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. I mean, that's pretty, that's, those are pretty cut and dried. 
you know. Yeah. There's your foundation you go yeah. off of. So, okay. <laughs> I have a question for you. Since you just rambled off that long list of of uh, adjectives or whatever, <laughs> uh, when did you start memorizing huge passages of the Bible and and why? And I mean, was it something that came pretty naturally to you or did you did you really work at it? Um, it was part of our school. We had to memorize scripture in school. Yeah. So there was catechisms, believe it or not, even though that's more of a Catholic term. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, but okay. Had, mm-hmm. But I'm sure, I mean, because kids are kids, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, were you significantly better at it than most of your peers? So. I don't think I was. So you think, because Lori and Tony... And Tim, Never rattle off scripture. <laughs> they, do you think they still have huge passages memorized even to this day? I don't know. I don't know if they do. I, I, I'm willing to bet that you're probably one of the few. Okay, Tony, Lori, Tim, that'll be a <laughs> discussion for later. Right. No, I. I mean. I mean, did you guys even talk about it? Like, mm-mm. oh, I can't believe we have to memorize this crap today kind of thing. I don't remember talking about it. I just remember it was just part of, it was like getting ready for math tests or getting ready. It was a Bible class. And so we had to memorize it and write it all out. Right. So, and honestly, it's, I believe it served me well because. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you pull it out and, and the stuff that makes sense to you, you use every day. I mean, so yeah. Yeah. Well, rewiring of the brain. I like to go back to those things if I'm starting to feel anxious about something and make it my foundation. But I also have certainly had plenty of Christian patients who got into major conspiracy theories and wound up into in a in the psych unit and mm-hmm. and then when they throw out scripture to me or when they throw out philosophies to me then I bring them back to scripture because it's brings, you know, it kind of debunks their their conspiracy belief system, their stuff. conspiracy right. theories, and and that's the thing is I have had I've had these people who are just brilliant Christian leaders and the whole bit, and they've gone down these these paths and stayed up all night and been online and saw these conspiracy theories and saw these you know end time theologies and and it's it's devastated their fan like they've been lost for years right okay so when you were a kid Mm -hmm. and even into your 20s and stuff you were convinced that the end of the world was coming do you remember like what did that look like for you what what did you imagine was going to happen or did you did you imagine or did they spell it out did they did they admit we don't know how it's going to happen but we're pretty sure it's going to happen soon or were there specific things? That there were, were like, specific things. Was where... it like the Left Behind series? Yes. I, mm-hmm. Okay. So I remember, <clears throat> when did that come out? Do you remember? Because I think it, it might have come out when I was in high school. Yeah, probably the 80s. I remember when it, it came out and people would talk about reading it. And mm-hmm. and there were others that came out that were low budget Yeah. before that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think I read the first one of those. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did because it's, you know... Uh, the character, he's a journalist, maybe? Is no, that... one of them's a pilot. 
Yeah, but, but I don't know. Yeah, one of them is a pilot, but I think the so yeah, the yeah. Kirk Cameron character, right? Yeah, which before it was somebody else, but yeah, yeah. it was a journalist. Yeah, because he goes to a press conference where the Antichrist, uh, right, holds this. Pre- he's some sort of leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if he was a, like an American politician. But he, he, like, the whole thing is that he goes through, uh, he says hello to people in every language, mm-hmm. right, during this press conference. And that works some kind of magic on the room and on the world to convince him that he's yes on their side or whatever, a good yes. person. But, but Kirk, who has been, I think he was left behind, but he was saved at that point. Like, mm-hmm. he had, he had mm-hmm. been shown the truth, was not cat, was not, uh, caught under his spell mm-hmm. right but anyway I, so i read the first one and then i and then i stopped because i was like okay this this is not for me <laughs> i was yeah, not gonna right. i was not gonna believe it but uh so that's basically the vision that you had of- yeah so and and if you look at world war ii and you look at what the jews went through mm-hmm. in world war ii right they were marked right so it's kind of the opposite of it's kind of the opposite of that if you don't take the mark of the beast, then you can't buy food. Then you can't do these things. Mm, right. And taking the mark of the beast would then be betraying. Yeah. And I remember at the time, I think the the theory in the late 80s uh, were that everybody would get like UPC codes tattooed yeah. mm-hmm. on their wrists. Until they came up with chips. And then or their chips. forehead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and I, it always seemed silly to me. I'm like, what? Why? Who would get this UPC code tattooed on their forehead for crying out loud? And every one of those is supposed to have the the number of the beast or something mm-hmm. like that. It was six, supposed six, to include six 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 somehow. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know. It just it seemed it, again. It seemed like a conspiracy theory that just would be impossible. Like there would be there would be people who would in the institution, whatever institution was, you know, having these UPC codes distributed or tattooed on who would be like oh it seems a little odd that there's this 666 right in the middle or right, right at the beginning right. or right at the end i think i should tell somebody about this you know yeah there's no way that it wouldn't get out and and 666 has become so popularized and in, in modern culture that you know people would know about it it, it just seems well not to mention nowadays they want it right it's a it's kind of a become a joke almost where Mm, yeah, people right. who know about it, they make jokes about it. Oh, it's sure. like, mm-hmm. yeah, I want my phone number to have six 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 in it. <laughs> and back then, yeah. you know, there was always then these rumors like, oh well, so and so's cousin is working on this uh, project at at IBM, and the the computer's called the Beast. Mm, right. So there was all these <laughs> things swirling around that just added to the anxiety and the OCD and the, you know, the anxious thoughts and the imagining this future and how do we preempt the harm and, and, and the, all of it, all of it was a complete lack of faith in God. You know, the only thing that scripture says to us is nobody's going to know when it's going to be. And, you know, you're to, you're to be, I love the I love the phrase. This is uh, Chris Rice, I think it is. Run the earth and watch the sky, and I love mm. that. Yeah, because it's you know anticipating it. Yes, I mean I would love I would love for that time to come where there is no famine, there is no hunger, there is no you know where there is 
the ultimate peace. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know. I, and, and I believe in that future, too. But my future looks like Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's no famine. There's no hunger. All mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine growing up with that fear and, like, having that constantly mm-hmm. in the back of your mind. Constant fear. And, you know, shame on the... Shame on the churches and the pastors who, who just constantly and the, and unfortunately they live in the same darkness. They just a lot of them get paid really really well, right. you know. But there's just no love. There's no love of God. There's no love of Christ. It's all well. There is, I guess, exclusively to them. But even then, they still feel a sense of having to earn it to some degree. Unless they just really are narcissists. Some of them, I believe, just know that you can use scripture to control people. Right. I certainly have had some of those pastors in the past. Yeah. But, you know, and I don't want to say that exclusively because we're all broken. I mean, that that's a sign of their mental illness. Yeah. And I remember thinking the first time I worked in the psych unit, in a lockdown unit, hearing some of these psych patients and they sounded like some pastors that I'd grown up with. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. God told me this, and Jesus says this, and Satan's doing this, and I'm like, oh shit! I mean, that was a big, that was huge for me. I'm like, okay, let's step back for a second, because there was a lot of, of, uh, yeah, that was a that was a big moment for me, mm-hmm. because you were not supposed to question these men in authority, right? Well, I remember too, <clears throat> and even amongst my my very reasonable compared to your your cult friends like my christian youth group friends they would use revelations all the time to talk about the end of the world and the thing that always that i was always so cynical about was that they were fundamentalist christians and they would believe that every word of the bible was true except when it came to revelations because then it was all about oh well this is symbolic you know this is this is a metaphor like the the what the seven-headed beast or whatever yeah is okay what so the seven-headed beast mm-hmm. was supposed to be no 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 these they represent different countries that are going to rise up and you know and and, and yeah it's the like, same with daniel come on now i mean you believe in the talking snake you believe <laughs> that you believe that noah you know got two of every animal in the world but when it comes to Revelation, uh, it's just, it's a symbolic thing. It's a metaphor. And Daniel, yes. Now, interestingly enough, that they kind of would pick and choose that. Because I remember in my school, it's at Suburban Baptist, I remember one of the classes we were doing on Revelation. And this had to have been in, I don't know, probably, I, I want to say this was like fifth grade, maybe. We were drawing pictures of the, of these, uh, uh, um, prophecies. Yeah. So I remember we were drawing a picture of it was the the beast in Revelation that was uh, had the head of a man and the, the tail of a scorpion and mm-hmm. uh, we we were we were like reading these passages and drawing pictures of these creatures yes. that were going around stinging men and they were suffering for. You know, but couldn't die, and they were begging yeah, yeah. for death. And it's fantastic. It's just <laughs> what a great fun activity for <laughs> for children to draw. I know. I know. Wow. Yeah, and and I I can't pretend to be a scholar ab- about Revelation, but from what I've heard, 
Like if you read Revelation in the context of the time that it was written, John, right, right, writing mm-hmm. this, um, it it makes sense of the political situation that they were living in at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm I'm not sure about this, but the the different beasts that, that he would describe, like the tail of a scorpion, wasn't the scorpion like the the sort of mascot of some of the Roman armies? Oh, you know? probably, yeah. <clears throat> and so I think, and I, again, I can't pretend to know all this, but I've I've heard before so that... So far you know more than I thought you would. Well, before, I've heard before that, that some scholars who break it apart and put it in the context of the time, Revelations makes a lot of sense. Like, it's it's not about the end times. It's all written as political code to tell people, hey, you know, this is what I make of the current political situation. They couldn't write about it blatantly because they mm-hmm. would be killed. They would be right. killed by the Romans for sedition. But if they wrote about it, if you wrote about it in code like this, and that's the, that's the that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a non-believer, that makes sense of Revelations, where where what people have taken it and turned it into makes no sense, except in the context of trying to maintain control over. A group of people through fear and mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know all of these things so question yeah <clears throat> let's say all of those things were removed because i'm i mean obviously i think maybe my upbringing was the extreme uh-huh. or yeah. at least close to the extreme sure. right i mean we were fundamentalists so we picketed at at voting sites about you know anti-abortion and anti-gay and all of that right i mean yeah. that's so let's say that um that you removed all of the crazy. allegorical stuff mm-hmm. like the the I mean cuz that's what a lot of it seems like to to me like most of Genesis really feels like myth making right you're you're creating a myth to explain to people who don't understand how the world came to be you're making up stories to explain these things to mm-hmm. and to uh, you know, to explain how how God made all the animals and made people and, and, and making a woman from the rib of a man, you know, that clearly sets up a hierarchy for the right. patriarch to maintain, maintain control over women in case they step out of line. Oh, you bleed because you you brought original sin to us. So, you know, you should listen to me because right. I am like God to you, right? Or whatever, right? right? It all makes sense in, in, in it's all about control. But yes, I and I've, I've often said that because the reason that I decided I didn't believe any of it was because it was completely at odds with everything that I was learning in science class. Mm-hmm. But if, if Christianity were more flexible and willing to let go of a lot of the mythology or just to, to acknowledge, to say, hey, these are stories that that our ancestors made up to explain the world that they didn't understand, but we understand that the modern world is, is very different. If they were willing to update the Bible and mm-hmm. make it more relevant to modern times, you know, even I mean, you could still use those stories as allegories to, you know, to explain why we shouldn't do some things and should do other things. But, but just to acknowledge that, that would have made it much easier for me to, to maintain, you know, to stay in the church or whatever, you know, I, I would have, 
you know, I still might not have believed. I might not have believed in the, the idea of, of an all-knowing, all-seeing, beneficent God. But, but I, you know, I, I still think that everything that Jesus said was pretty awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. And if that were couched in, in, a, in a philosophy that, that really took in the problems that we're dealing with in the modern world, then then yeah absolutely I, I i would be much more willing to to you know to go to that right. church or you know yeah. i think you know the thing is where i've landed with it <clears throat> and probably because i've like the the concept of non-dualism is makes a lot of sense to me because we what okay so what is non-dualism like not not having a, a separate mind, not having a separate, being able to hold space for everything, being able to hold space for the opposites of things. Okay. Yeah. That's at least how I believe non-dualism is, you know. What about you? Yeah, I, don't, I'm, I probably have heard that term before, but mm-hmm. I've never, never really contemplated what it is. Non-dualism. So that seems to me like not being able to hold two ideas, right? Non-dualism. Non-dualistic thinking. Non-dual, so being unable to hold two separate ideas in your mind, since it's non-dualistic. If you have dualistic thinking, I would think, oh yeah, you can hold two ideas, no, two separate ideas. Well, and maybe I used the term wrong, but dualism, you you can't. Or wait, maybe you separate things out. Oh, I thought dualism might be when you become easily insulted and have to shoot someone. <laughs> right. You you take ten paces and you turn yes. around. That's yes. a different kind of dualism. Different, yes. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> in case I'm using the phrase the term incorrectly, <laughs> being able to hold space for the for everything, for all of it, yes. like be, the, being able to hold space for the shadow, being able to hold space for the darkness and the light at the same time. So holding space for the belief system, <clears throat> like I can hold space, and let's say. Let's say everything in Revelation is not a metaphor and everything in Revelation is going to happen. Okay. You know, let's say that Genesis is full of myths or to teach us or not. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, to me, I've come to a place where I think probably because I was driven crazy for so long with different philosophies and different theologies. And yeah, but in the Greek... It says it this way. And in the Hebrew, it says it this way. And so then we've got to do it this way. And honestly, it all became, they all became gods of their own or idols of their own. You know, people were dying on these hills. You know, are we going to have a seven-year tribulation or three-and-a-half-year tribulation? Or is there a rapture? Is it pre or, or you know? And, and so much madness came from that and so much you know, discourse and, and splitting and all these things. I mean, it's almost like the church has borderline personality disorder and schizophrenia and like the body of Christ has all these and, and just, just landing on love, you know, what if it is all true? Who cares? You know, if you land on, on, and, and for me, Christ revealed himself to me when I was very young He's my God and Savior. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe that there is 
that there is a desire for us to be in relationship with our Creator and to live like Christ lived. And for me, in this point in my life, just to land there takes away a lot of the madness. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, obviously, then it's funny to be in a position where now I'm working with patients who are in the madness of it. And, you know, I'm trying to teach them how to live 108010, how to be in the moment, how to be in the moment with their creator and not live in the madness that I lived in for so long. Right. Yeah. And, you know, as an outside, from an outside perspective, it just seems, it seems, it seems nuts to me that, that we would spend so much time pouring over these ancient texts written by people who had a very limited understanding of, of the world and of science. I mean, science wasn't even a thing back then, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was, and, uh, and to put so much weight on this when, when I've always thought if, if these people so long ago could find their way to some sort of truth or to God or whatever, then I should be able to, too, you know, through my own contemplation and meditation, whatever, whatever kind of, you know, because I mean, I, I, I don't, <clears throat> I don't pretend to be, you know, a, any kind of religious scholar or, or particularly adept at these things. But I do spend a lot of time thinking about God and the nature of existence and, mm-hmm. and uh, right. you know, and just on my own. And I, I've always thought if, uh, if, if they can find a way to truth, then, then so can I. And it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter, you know, what these people 2,000 years ago said in a place far away from where I live. It, it shouldn't matter. You know, I should be able to find it. Right. So then for all the Christians that are listening, <clears throat> you as a non-believer have seen me in my belief system. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like the other day when we were talking, and I'm like, it's not my responsibility to save you. It's the Holy Spirit's job Mm. to save you or convict you or have that relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And I remember somebody saying to me once, um, but aren't you just upset all the time that he might die and go to hell? Doesn't that just, how can you even live like that? And does it make me a bad person that I can live like that? I mean, I, I, I think probably one thing is the concept of hell to me has become completely different. I mean, separation from God, like for me, separation from my God would be hell. So when I think about the concept of hell and fire and all of these things, Punishment. Punishment. Um, if I, if I can have, if I can have more mercy than the creator of all things, then there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so my concept of hell has become much different, but I also do not believe that God's intent was to force us into a relationship with him based on a concept of fear and hell. 
I don't think that was the plan. I think that's what we've twisted it into. Yeah. So when I think about you and, I mean, I don't imagine you in, in hell burning fire after you die. Right. That's not, and I don't know why I have a piece about, you know, whatever is to come. Sure. But I do. Yeah. I mean. I've always thought that <clears throat> it it doesn't make sense to me that we would live this this short time here on earth you know at most at most 70 80 90 years mm-hmm. right for most of us and then based upon that we would spend eternity uh either in you know in paradise or in in hell and it, it just never made sense to me like what kind of cruel creator Mm-hmm. would put us here for that limited amount of time and and give us so many different ways of looking at the world too, right? Like, I mean, there are billions of Buddhists. There are billions of Muslims. There are billions of Hindus. And there's so few Christians. Why would why would he do that? It just doesn't make sense. And, and, I, and it seemed to me that <clears throat> that would be the kind of cruel creator that I would not want to believe in, you know? Mm-hmm. So I've, I've always thought, you know, I, I don't know what's true. I don't know what happens, if anything, after we die. I, I suspect it's nothing. But um, if there is something, then it shouldn't matter what I believe because there's so many different ways. And, uh, and I can't imagine somebody who, who loves, loves humanity uh, that would do that to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know. It doesn't bother me either, basically, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I figure whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And uh, will you be yeah. blaming me? Oh, if I'm in hell? If you're in hell, will you be <laughs> blaming me for not uh, no. push, pushing how, it how more? Could, how could I believe that? Because, I mean, if you pushed it more, first of all, I think I would push back harder, right? Like mm-hmm. I'd be like... You know, that that's not who you are and that's not what our relationship has been based on. You know, we we love each other very much and there's no way that I would, you know, I would know that you, you've made it clear to me what you believe and what you think about things. And, you know, you if you forced it, then uh, then it just wouldn't work. You know, we wouldn't be who we are. And um, no, I, I love you for for loving me, even though I'm a, a hateful sinner. You're not hateful. I know. You're very kind. Yes. <clears throat> but <clears throat> no, I, I wouldn't blame you at all. I, I I guess I would blame myself or I think I would be more apt to blame, <laughs> to be mad at God probably, right? To be like, man, why'd you do this? You know, why'd you, why would you do that? You know, why would you put me here for 70, 80 years and, uh, and make it one one way to get there, you know, one one truth, one path to truth when there are all these other paths. Just, it didn't make any sense to me. Because, I mean, there are arguably people who, and for most of human history, who had no idea about the path to God or this particular path to God, right? They had all these other ideas. They had all these other gods. And you're telling me every one of those souls is, I mean, hell's must be bursting at the seams then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's just, that's nuts to me. It doesn't make any sense at all. So, well, and, yeah. 
I mean, it wouldn't be busting at the seams because we're in our spirit form. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to go into details about that. <laughs> okay, but okay. just the whole concept of that was right. unrealistic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and it, it is a pretty myopic view when you think about, <clears throat> you know, for so, for so long people said that hell was the center of the earth and, yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. When I was five years old, uh, I thought, oh, yeah, well, God clearly lives in the center of the earth. That must mean that uh, or no, the devil lives in the center of the earth. That must mean that God lives in the sun. And so that, that, that made sense of the world to me at the time, you know? Um, but then as I got older and learned what the sun really was and, and what, you know, it just, it, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's silly. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the concepts of, of where God is, you know, the whole concept of God being in the atmosphere and the heavens. And now we've expanded our understanding of what the universe looks like. And sure. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that Dr. B, when we went to breakfast the other day, uh, he was sort of, <clears throat> you know, saying that, uh, oh, I you know, I've heard that we live, you know, that science and mathematics, string theory and stuff mm-hmm. have, uh, or they're convinced that there are as many as 11 dimensions and we, mm-hmm. we only see a limited number of them. So there could be all of this activity happening all around us. And, uh, and we just don't see it because as biological beings, we only have eyes that see in three dimensions and, yeah. you know, <clears throat> yeah. So. And actually I believe there's 21, but I mean, you look at string theory, it just can the, be up to 21. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, and quantum mechanics is is crazy. There are all kinds of, you know, strangenesses that we're finding out about where the math leads us to to believe these things. You know, uh, spooky action at a distance and and all of that. And and it's yeah, it's a it's a much weirder universe than than our eyes and five senses can reveal. But you know, at the same time, I I still I don't know. I it, I just don't. Yeah, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I don't feel what you feel with such certainty, you know, and and it's, and I don't think that I'm being, I think I'm trying to be as open about it, open to it as I possibly can, but I, uh, yeah, I just don't have that, that feeling that you have, that feeling that you had when, what, when you were five or six, Mm -hmm. yeah, and you felt Jesus come into your heart or whatever, yeah. Yeah. I've never had that moment, and, uh, yeah. Well, and also at that age... Close to that age was when I was, you know, I was in the woods with the my pony that, that I had and I was sitting on this log and I felt this sense that, you know, we were surrounded, that we, that our ancestors, that my ancestors and the angels and, I mean, I was probably six or, I was probably seven at that point, seven or eight at that point. <clears throat> and I was aware that, you know, there was more, there was more beyond what we could see. And, and that, you know, that's, that it, that it was, a everything was bigger than what we were seeing, than what we were perceiving. Yeah. And I, and I was very young then. Yeah. I mean, do you think that was, that was born out of what you were being taught in church? Mm-mm, because it was actually against what I was being taught in church. Yeah. That's so weird. Like, I wonder, <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess if, if that's a real thing, then again, I feel 
I feel robbed of <laughs> that ability to to sense that, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, is it just something that is in my brain that's just not active or is it a part of my brain that's not there? Is it a part of your brain that's more active, you know, than mine? Probably. Or, <clears throat> I mean, I, it, I would... I would assume that probably it is just a more active part of my brain and yeah. has been since I was very little. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was actually, <clears throat> sorry, it was actually against the teachings. Yeah. Right. And I never shared it with anybody because it was against, you know, they would always say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if you saw a spirit or you saw an ancestor then it was a demon who was pretending to be that spirit or ancestor. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. then when you look at the fact that God is everywhere, so the Lord is everywhere, so it's not like it's sitting up in it and, you know, above the clouds. Right. But actually surrounding (laughs) us everywhere. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even appropriate to say that because there's also, you know, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses as part of scripture too. So it was basically just what they would pick and choose to make their point at the time. Yeah, right. Um, but to be surrounded by my you know, ancestors and to know that there were angels around, just to have that sense of, of that, um, yeah, would have been, I probably would have been told to repent and everybody probably would have freaked out. Yeah. Would you have gotten a spanking? Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe, definitely wouldn't have, definitely wouldn't have been, you know, accepted because at that point we were at Berean Baptist and that pastor was off the chain. I mean, he was, he used to wear these white suits and white cowboy boots and he drove this uh, like black Cadillac. Wow. And it was full of people who, you know, were pretty poor, but, you know, they supported him. And he was one of those southern pastors that were the hellfire brimstone pounding yeah. the pulpit. He mm-hmm. had a big following and everybody just thought he was so wonderful and righteous. But if you know, if you took a if you panned out at the view and looked at the fact that it was this these people that were, you know, in poverty and yeah. and or more than likely maybe maybe middle class people and I remember at one point there was a a sermon where he was talking about sending money to this missionary and, and they passed the plate around several times and he was, you know, you're not giving enough. You're not giving enough, you know, kind of thing. And, and one couple took off their wedding bands and put them in the, wow. Yeah. That's how bad it was. That was also the church that when I was, and I, we were, I was pretty little when we left there, but that was also the church that one day during a sermon, um, Four or five guys came in with guns and masks on and started yelling and and saying uh, that they were going to take over the church and who believes in Jesus. And they wanted to see who who like would actually stand up in the face of persecution. And Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was set up to. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> preparing us for the end times, I guess. But I was like, I don't know, I was probably six, seven years old and. Yeah, I came in in masks with guns, like guns, abla- you know, guns out for everybody to see. Right. Who believes in Jesus? Who's willing to die for? Oh, so yeah. God, that sounds traumatic. You think? Yeah, a you think bit. it was traumatic? <laughs> yeah. Wow. But any time, you know, when I did finally try and get 
therapy outside of the church. It was after the situation with the youth pastor and I tried to get therapy and the therapist actually called the police to report, report what had happened. Yeah. Um, I was told, and again, this was by my, you know, this was, no, actually I was called into, to the pastor's office and he was disappointed that I was going to the world for therapy instead of coming to the church and mm-hmm. everything needed to be of taken course. care of the church. And I was basically told that if the police, that I was to <clears throat> protect the church no matter what. And so I told the therapist that I would lie to the police if I, but she called the police and. Did what she was supposed to. Did what she was supposed to. She yeah. turned them in and they covered it up or I don't know. I don't know what they did, but I was told if I was. So I never had the chance to talk to yeah. The authorities about it. God. But wow. there was there were five of us. There were five victims. And yeah, it was to be a church matter. They were not supposed to That is crazy. They, they definitely just, put themselves above the law. Yeah. Let him go on and do it at another church, right? Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. <sighs> so wow. Happy yeah. Sunday morning. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Happy Sunday. I'm going to spend time in worship later. It's the full moon. Mm-hmm. I'm going to smudge and just All right. spend time with my God. Good plan. After you make me breakfast in bed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Okay. I love you. I love you. And we love you guys and thanks for letting us rant. and. Yeah, and argue about whether it was recording or not. It clearly was. So I'm right. I don't know. We don't know yet. We have to push it. It's totally record. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Hi, everyone. So Love's Convenience Store is another one of Craig's talents of writing each other into our past, into our childhood, and just coming up with creative stories to rewrite our, our past as if we'd been together the whole time. I love in this one the way he says, I wanted to get caught so I could feel bad about something real. And there's some big truth to that, which I'm sure we all feel that way, right? We all imagine things that we've done that we want to feel bad about when, you know, really we're just being human. So again, Craig came up with something creative and wonderful to point a truth out to me, another parable. And um, yeah, hope you guys like it. Thanks. Do you remember the summer when we were nine and Love opened a convenience store right around the corner from us? (laughs) We shoplifted candy at that store at the start of the summer and Love chased us down the street screaming in their weird accent, You darned kids, I get you, I get you. We never did figure out where love was from, did we? I just remember that we got away, and when we were catching our breath in the woods after, you had this look on your face, like you were disappointed. And then I made you laugh by trying to imitate love's accent, and we ate our candy and felt a little sick about it. I thought for sure we'd never set foot in Love's store twice, but you insisted the next day we'd do it again. So we did, with the same result. You darn it, kids, I get you! And you 
with that disappointed look when we got away again and the stomach ache after. And we wondered if maybe love wasn't suffering from dementia or something. Then you remembered that disease where you don't remember faces, prosopagnosia. So we went home to look it up. Now, this was before smartphones and Google, so it was an actual encyclopedia. I remember watching your hand trailing down the pages, looking for the entry, and when you found the right one and read it, I reached out and took your hand on the page. You blushed, and you didn't hold my hand back. But you didn't pull it away, either. And we just left them there, pretending I wasn't holding your hand and talking about love's neurological problems like we could fix them or even understand. Anyway, after that, we stole candy every day that week, and every day, love didn't catch us, and every day, you'd look disappointed, and even though I'd make you laugh until everything was okay enough to eat our candy, that look on your face started to break my heart more and more. Even back then, at nine, though I never really knew why. But the other day, I was thinking about it again when it occurred to me, you wanted to get caught. I mean, you were always feeling so bad about silly things like existing at all or never feeling of worth. And you wanted love to catch us, to punish us, to tell our parents just so you could feel bad about something real for a change. Then maybe then, if we couldn't earn love's attention, we could... At least steal it. But love treated us with that same friendly smile every time, like we were any other kind-hearted souls, right up until we grabbed the candy and ran. And I don't know if love suffered from prosopagnosia, or if, maybe, they just believed in letting go of past trespasses. Every day, a new start for everyone. Like if love only and always believed the best of people, eventually people will become it. And it must have worked. <laughs> we stopped stealing candy, at least. And there's little I wouldn't do for another chance to hold your hand as we trail our fingers down a page filled with words, looking for love's next diagnosis and ignoring our own. Together, I love you more than light. Naked Conversations has been a Mountain Loves the Morning Light production. Thanks so much for listening again, guys. Hope you had fun, and uh, we'll see you next week. Love you. <laughs>